It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And my apologies. Somebody has overridden one of our numbers, and there has not been a death. My apologies for that. And, Governor, uh, we do have two callers waiting on the line. Uh, Right now, let's talk to Kathy, who is calling from Colville. Hi, Kathy. How can we help you today? Is this Ryan? Okay, let's try one more time. Hi, Ryan. How can we help you today? Uh, how are you doing today? Doing uh, great, thanks. Uh, I'm good. Uh, Governor Herbert, my question was, how big of a priority is air quality and pollution for you in 2017? Well, it's a big priority. In fact, it's not only a big priority in 2017, it's been a big priority for the last number of years. And we see the effort that's been made in uh, uh, putting 22 to 23 new regulations in place for industry and commercial businesses. Uh, the effort we've done has resulted in that we have less pollution per capita here in the Salt Lake, uh, Wasatch Front metropolitan area than any place in America today. We have to, to battle with inversions. It's like putting a lid on the on the pot. And so as we percolate uh, emissions, it gets trapped. And so we can have some real gunky days. But the science tells us over the last decade that we've reduced pollutants here on the Wasatch Front by 35%, 30% overall in the state, but 35% here along the Wasatch Front. And that's in the face of increasing dramatic growth of population. So increased people, increasing population. The results, too, are that now a majority of the pollution that comes into our valleys here are coming out of tailpipes of automobiles. And so, again, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the hour, you may not have heard it, the announcement we had from Chevron just a couple of days ago, we've been working with our refineries to, in fact, have them accelerate and bring in a Tier 3 fuels with the complement now of, of Tier 3 automobiles coming on board now in 2017. And that combination will allow us over the next few years to reduce the pollution that we have, at least out of tailpipes, by 80%. And uh, so that's like taking four four out of every five cars off of the road. Industry has done their part. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on new, best available technology to, to do their part. And it really is a shared responsibility of all of the above and all of us working together. But I like our trend lines. We'll meet all the federal requirements and uh, by the end of 2019, as we were supposed to. So it's been a not only a priority for 2017, but a priority for the last number of years. And we see very positive results. Definitely. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer my question. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, Governor, if we could go back just for a moment to the Bears Ears uh, topic. Uh, we did have a texter earlier who wanted to know why uh, your personal opinion or position on Bears Ears, why that should override, say, the outdoor relay- retailers and the money that they bring in. Do you feel that it does that? Well, I don't. I, again, I uh, working with the Bears Ears and, uh, issue with the Outdoor Industry Association here last year, 
uh, they agreed that it should be done legislatively. That was a, we all kind of agreed that's the best way to do it. The Obama administration agreed to it too. That's the best way to do it. Now, when it didn't happen, and I guess with impatience and frustration, they said, well, we're just going to designate it as a monument. Well, that didn't solve the problem, at least the way that most people think. It's not just my opinion. It's uh, really, I represent the people of Utah, and particularly the people of that region that are most impacted. And uh, the majority of the people of Utah, by uh, Dan Jones polling, shows an opposition to a monument designation. That doesn't mean that we don't want protection. doesn't mean we don't recognize there's some significance to that area, that maybe the Antiquities Act, at least the, the concept of use, utilization, has a bearing. But it's the smallest area that should be used compatible with preserving the areas and antiquities. And, and this, they've, done, they've done more than the smallest area. The BLM, by the way, has the ability to protect the land. This is not Utah land. This is owned by the federal government, managed by the Bureau of Land Management. It's designed to help having appropriate grazing so the farmers and ranchers can utilize it for water rights, uh, for even extraction industries. Although I'd hasten to tell everybody, we get criticized all the time about somehow this is uh, designed to give oil and gas uh, developers the ability to do that in the Bears Ears. That's not true. There is no oil or gas in the Bears Ears area. This is a big myth out there. And uh, there's nothing out there now. Uh, there would certainly be things going on if there was any uh, opportunity out there. But that's not it. It's really how do we best manage. The BLM's doing a great job of management before the monument. Access was available for people to ride their horses, hike, you know, uh, do what they want. The Indians are concerned about ta- putting a neon sign and say, come here and stomp on our sacred lands, which is what the monument does. So there's unintended consequences of the monument. We were trying to reflect the wishes of the people, particularly in that area and the, and the people here of Utah. There's not one elected official, uh, you know, of our congressional delegation, not any of the elected officials in that area. Uh, the vast overall majority of our legislature were opposed to it. And we reflect really the will of the people. Um, we had Kathy's call earlier, and she got dropped. But what she was asking, Governor, her question was, "What is your opinion on prepaid, on paid preschool and all-day kindergarten?" Well, I'm for early intervention. I believe that the earlier you can intervene in your child's growing up and maturity and helping them learn is helps them to have success later on. We believe that the probably the most important years of life. And again, we find that science is telling us this to be true, is from birth to third grade. Again, that early intervention, the ability to get our children trained up in the right way, and they'll continue to go on a good path. So uh, pre-K, in fact, we talk about our education more about P through 20. We used to talk about K through 12. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about K through 16 and beyond. Now the the nomenclature is P through 20, which is pre-kindergarten, preschool, pre-opportunities of going into public education, and up through your graduate degrees, your medical degrees, uh, P20. So, again, I think the opportunities for us to have early intervention are important. And uh, whether the government has to do it, we have a lot of parents involved in private preschools, homeschooling opportunities to have uh, early intervention, early learning, gives them a leg up 
And uh, uh, if they can be reading proficient, for example, by third grade, boy, the rest of the years in education are much easier and they're much uh, more likely to to have uh, student achievement success. Right. But have you heard of anybody who's drafting any sort of legislation that would pay for pre-K or all-day kindergarten? We Right now we have extended optional kindergarten. And so that's having a full day of kindergarten. Most areas have a half a day. We also have some funding that's available to even use some technology in homes, at-risk uh, uh, children in their homes, so that they can get a, a leg up on learning. Uh, for those who have English as a second language, again, help there so that they can learn to speak and read in English, which is how they're going to be able to learn better. So there are some efforts out there to take a look at that and see if we can do even more uh, in front of kindergarten. Uh, One of our texters asking how you feel about the science of climate change. I believe in science, and I believe that there are differences of opinion on climate change as far as the cataclysmic aspect of man-caused climate change, or as it used to be referred to as global warming. And uh, so I think, again, we ought to have the healthy debate, the pro and the con, it seems like one side is kind of shouted down the other side. In fact, ridiculed anybody who has opposition. But I think we look at history as a guide. We've had climate change. It's been warmer. It's been colder. And where we are in that cycle, who knows exactly. But we ought to have the science and the study and, and, a, and a willingness to have dialogue and be able to have people ask le- uh, legitimate questions and get answers rather than be scorned. About climate deniers mm-hmm. and climate change deniers, that doesn't help the dialogue at all. But I certainly believe in climate change. The question really before us, I think, is more accurately described as, and how big of an impact does man have on the climate change and or global warming? And you're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. The number to call with your questions, 575-8255, or you can text us, 575 We'll be back after a short break. 